Sanders. Welcome to the Dr. Hedberg Show for cutting-edge practical health information. For the latest articles, videos, and podcasts, visit drhedberg.com. That's D-R-H-E-D-B-E-R-G.com. The information in this show is intended for educational purposes only. Always consult your healthcare professional before attempting anything recommended in this program. And now, here's Dr. Hedberg. Well, welcome everyone to the Dr. Hedberg Show. This is Dr. Hedberg. This episode, I'm going to be talking about a recent study that actually looked at food intolerances and Hashimoto's disease. So I was kind of excited to see this. Uh, it was just published last month, and we're finally starting to get some more studies coming out on Hashimoto's disease regarding foods. Like in the last episode, I covered a, a recent study on a gluten-free diet and Hashimoto's. So we're starting to make some some good ground in this area. So first, actually, I just want to help everyone understand the difference between a food allergy, a food sensitivity, and a food intolerance. So a food allergy is a true allergy through the IgE uh, immunoglobulin. So this is a, like someone gets stung by a bee and they have an anaphylactic response and they die. They eat peanuts. They have an anaphylactic response. They die. Shellfish, uh, their face could swell up. Um, Severe sneezing, swelling, things like that. These are really immediate reactions that you just know you have to various foods and uh, other things in the environment. So that's, that's, a, that's an allergy. And intolerance, which is what this study was really testing, is basically an immune intolerance in the gut to a specific food. And so this is... Uh, you know, someone eats something and it doesn't, it can be immediate, but it can also be delayed up to three days. And so it can affect the digestive system. The immune system is reacting to it and in an abnormal way, but it's not going to be as aggressive or as potentially life-threatening as a true allergy. Uh, So that's more of an an intolerance. It it tends to be more of a a digestive-related issue like a lactose intolerance. People don't have enough of the enzyme lactase to break down lactose. So that's an intolerance. And then a a sensitivity is sort of in, in the gray area. It isn't really discussed in the literature. It is sort of lumped in into the food intolerance category. But a sensitivity is also just an immune response to it. It could be uh, sort of a, a combination of an intolerance and an allergy, but it's not as it's not really clearly defined as uh, as an allergy or an intolerance. So usually, I, I just talk to everyone in, in using the words either food allergy or a food intolerance. Um, sensitivity can just kind of be interchanged for both of those actually. So this uh, this paper was called Evaluation of 
correlations between food-specific antibodies and clinical aspects of Hashimoto's thyroiditis. It was published in the Journal of the American College of Nutrition. So let's break down the study and uh, see what foods they found are connected to Hashimoto's disease. Now the authors, they start out by pointing out a previous study that showed TSH levels actually improved in people with Hashimoto's disease who were lactose intolerant when they avoided consuming lactose. So these people cut dairy out of their diet and their TSH levels improved. So thyroid function got better. That's sort of the only, one of the very few uh, food-related studies that has ever really been done on Hashimoto's disease. The only other one is is, glut, is the gluten-free diet, which is was relatively recent. So the, the purpose of the study, it was to evaluate IgG antibody testing for specific foods and to see if these antibody reactions were different in people with Hashimoto's disease compared to those who don't have Hashimoto's disease. So they really wanted to find out are there specific foods connected to Hashimoto's disease that people could eliminate from their diets that could actually help their condition? So how was the study done? We had 74 patients. 91.9% of them were females. They had Hashimoto's disease. And they did blood testing for 125 IgG food antibodies. Uh, some of them were taking thyroid medication and some were not. So 28% were not taking thyroid medication. 91.9% of, of the participants were females. So they also did a thyroid ultrasound, which is a great test uh, if you have Hashimoto's disease to see if there's swelling or nodules and things like that. They also looked at TSH, T4, free T4, total T3, thyroid peroxidase antibodies, antithyroglobulin antibodies. And they also looked at body mass index, height, weight, blood pressure, and they asked them how many symptoms they had. So I was, I was very pleased to see that they did have a control group, which is really necessary for all studies. A lot of studies don't use a control group and that significantly lowers the quality of the study. So they had 245 people in the control group. 54% were women and they were tested for the same 125 IgG food antigens. They used ELISA testing. So ELISA is a very popular technique for testing food intolerances. And they broke them down into these categories. Milk products, eggs, grains, legumes, nuts, fruits, vegetables, fish, seafood, meat, and then coffee and tea. So they also took into account all the differences of the above, of the, uh, the blood markers I just mentioned, and the biomarkers, the medication, and symptoms. And they did a correlation analysis to see if there were any connections there. They even checked how frequently 
the subjects were eating these specific foods. So let's go over the results of the study. So they found increased IgG antibody responses in 12 foods that were significant, but they were elevated in both groups. So both groups had equal uh, food intolerance reactions to these 12 foods. So there was no difference between the two groups with a few exceptions. So of the 12, only plum was significantly elevated in the Hashimoto's group compared to the control group. It was kind of a strange finding. And then egg whites and barley, there was a borderline significance. And then interestingly, almonds, the reactivity to almonds was actually significantly lower in those with Hashimoto's disease compared to controls. Now, if, they, if you look at the proportion of all the positive results, however, only plum and barley were higher in those with Hashimoto's disease, but really no significant difference with egg whites. Now, another interesting finding is that the anti-gliadin antibodies, which are specific for gluten, were no difference. There was no difference between the groups. Um... They did not find any correlation with IgG food antibodies and symptoms of these uh, individuals with Hashimoto's disease. So they, they put together a chart and uh, they show the magnitude of the reactivity from the strongest immune intolerance to the lowest intolerance for both groups. So I'm going to go through this highest to lowest. So the highest was milk products and eggs, then grains, nuts, legumes, fruits, vegetables, fish, seafood, meat, and then coffee and tea were the lowest reactivity. So the author discussion, they talk about the study. So they, they conclude only plum was significant between the two groups with barley and egg white to a lesser extent. They did, however, find a, a connection with thyroid volume on the ultrasound and almond-specific IgG levels. So the higher the IgG levels to almond the greater the thyroid volume, which can indicate thyroid inflammation. They also found this with the other nuts, meat, and fish. But that was only in those who were taking thyroid medication. Those who weren't didn't show an increase in their thyroid volume. So the older the subjects were, the less reactive they were to dairy and egg whites. And then they also found, this was interesting, there's higher, the higher the reactivity to coffee and tea, meaning that they were consuming it a lot, that actually correlated with fewer symptoms of Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism. So that can indicate that coffee and tea might actually be helpful. So the greatest reactivity in both groups were to the following specific foods, cow's milk, egg white, yeast, wheat, corn, barley, pistachio, peas, 
sheep's milk, goat's milk, plum, and almond. So based on what we know in, in the previous research, actually all of those, we already know that those are the most common uh, food intolerances and food allergies, the ones that I just listed. Now, they do make a very important point that if you have elevated IgG food antibody levels, this may just be due to the fact that you're eating it all the time. So if you have a high frequency and you're consuming it a lot, they tend to go up and you can't differentiate that from a bad, so-called bad immune reaction to just uh, intolerance. Um, the immune system reacts to everything that you eat and it'll react more to, to certain foods than other ones. But these levels could just be high because someone's eating it a lot. And that's why these tests um, can be difficult to interpret. Now, they even make a, a very strong statement that perhaps the threshold for measuring food intolerance is too low and it should be revised. Maybe the, the cutoff should be, should be much higher on these tests. But regardless of the frequency of consuming certain foods, the authors state that meat, vegetables, coffee, and tea induce the lowest IgG response compared to nuts and legumes, which induce a high IgG response, even when they aren't being consumed very often. They say that the plum reactivity was just kind of a mystery. Uh, there was a previous study published, actually, that did show a connection with plums and irritable bowel syndrome. Uh, but they're clear that these, these results actually don't mean that people with Hashimoto's disease should avoid plums. So they make that very clear. Now, there was an increase in anti-gliadin IgG antibodies, which are specific to gluten, in 24% of those with Hashimoto's disease, but that was the same as the controls. Uh, there was also an increase in wheat reactivity in those with Hashimoto's disease, but again, not significant compared to controls. 71% of the Hashimoto's patients had increased reactivity to cow's milk, but so did the controls. So the authors, they weren't really sure what to make of the low reactivity to almonds in those with Hashimoto's. They think they said that it could just be a symptom of the disease. Almond allergies are very common. It's, well, it's the third most common tree nut allergy in the U.S. Um, and then finally, the authors, they do make an important point that the problem with ELISA IgG food antibody testing is that with foods, you can have what's called cross-reactivity. And this means that one food can cross-react with another, and it can show an elevation on the test, but it's actually not your body's true immune response to that food. It's the other food that's cross-reacting and driving the immune response. So that's how you can get false positives. So there are seven author conclusions. Number one, IgG levels to plum are significantly increased 
whereas IgG levels to Amen are significantly decreased in those with Hashimoto's disease compared to controls. Number two, cow's milk and gluten-specific IgG levels did not differ between the groups. Number three, there is no connection between increased IgG antibodies and all of the blood and biomarkers that were tested in, the, in both groups. So that's like TSH, T4, T3, thyroid antibody levels. There was no significant difference between the groups in any of those markers. Number four, increased IgG antibodies are not associated with the symptoms of Hashimoto's disease. Number five, increased reactivity to coffee and tea seem to decrease the symptoms in Hashimoto's disease. Number six, IgG antibody levels can be elevated even without frequent consumption of certain foods. And number seven, IgG antibody testing needs to be improved to eliminate cross-reactions, which I just went over. So I'm going to just quote uh, their, their final conclusion. Taking these findings together, our study suggests that food intolerance is comparable between Hashimoto's thyroiditis patients and controls, with the exception of plum and almond. In addition, there is no evidence that increased IgG antibodies are associated with clinical aspects of Hashimoto's thyroiditis, especially with thyroid hormones and thyroid antibodies or Hashimoto's thyroiditis symptoms, pointing out that the test of food intolerances does not bring greater advantage to Hashimoto's thyroiditis cases in comparison to the general population. So that's their their conclusion. So let me go over my my interpretation of this study. So so I've been in practice 15 years now and early on I did do uh, quite a bit of IgG food antibody testing on most patients and it was very useful uh, most of the time. Sometimes it it wasn't useful though. Sometimes we would get a test back and the patient would be reacting to almost everything. And then other times uh, the results would come back and there really wouldn't be any reactions at all or just a few. Um, so, for example, like dairy might come back non-reactive on a patient, but the patient would tell me I feel horrible after I eat dairy. So I've always treated the patient, not the test results. Uh, but it has been a good way of helping people understand the main food intolerances that they would need to avoid. Now, most of these patients that I've seen and I do see have some kind of autoimmune disease and a gut issue. So foods are really paramount in, in figuring out what someone should eat and what they shouldn't. So after running many of these tests uh, for years, it just became clear really about 98% of the patients I would test would, would always come back reactive to dairy products, eggs, and gluten-containing grains. Those are always the top three. So, And that's what they saw in this study. This study found that 
and this is among both groups, normal and people with Hashimoto's. So they found high reactivity to dairy and grains, legumes, eggs, and nuts. And then um, the least amount of reactions that I always saw on the testing and they saw in this study were to meat, fish, seafood, fruits, and vegetables. So those would, would rarely come back reactive to anything in those, those categories. So over time, I just didn't need to do the testing anymore. And uh, we went with straightforward dietary approaches that eliminated those top food intolerances and had mainly have patients eating the foods that are the least reactive. So it's, this is a really excellent study. I was pleased to see the large control group so we could see what so-called normal people reacted to as well. Um, and I pointed this out earlier and they pointed it out. It is interesting that coffee and tea seem to help the symptoms of Hashimoto's disease because coffee and tea are, are a no-go on the autoimmune paleo diet. And that's a popular diet used for Hashimoto's disease. And I use it quite a bit because it works really well. And the autoimmune paleo diet basically just eliminates all those top food intolerances and has people eating uh, the lowest intolerances, which is mainly meat, fruits, and vegetables. But based on this research, I think I'm going to, I'll be more lenient, of course, with patients now who are coffee drinkers or who drink tea. And we'll just see if we can get the same results if, if they continue to consume those. So the, these test results, they of course don't mean that people with Hashimoto's should just eat what they want because there's no difference in, in food reactions. Remember that, that there were a number of food reactions to things like dairy and wheat. It just wasn't unique to those with Hashimoto's disease. The, the general population and the control group can most assuredly benefit from eliminating those foods as well or reducing them quite a bit because they do add additional stress to the immune system. So really, I mean, the main goal, one of the, one of the main goals in healing Hashimoto's disease is to heal the gut and reduce the overall load on the immune system. So to heal the gut, you need to eliminate inflammation in the gut, and that's done by uh, removing foods that are highly reactive, and then, of course, uh, dealing with what we find on a stool analysis or a SIBO breath test. So that could be a virus, a parasite, yeast overgrowth, bacterial overgrowth, and things like that. So that's why I use a variety of different diets with Hashimoto's disease, and that just depends on the unique patient. So in one patient, I might use the paleo diet, the next patient, the autoimmune paleo, uh, the next patient, the paleo low FODMAP diet, the next patient, the low FODMAP diet, uh, the next patient, the ketogenic diet, the next patient, the simple carbohydrate diet or the SCD diet. It just depends on their unique presentation because if they have SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, that's going to change things. 
Um, some people come in and they've already done the autoimmune paleo diet and they got much worse. They got much sicker. So clearly we're not going to do uh, a paleo diet or an autoimmune paleo diet in someone who got much sicker. And I'm not going to go into the reasons why some people do get sicker on the the AIP diet or the paleo diet in this podcast, but that does happen to a fair amount of people for various reasons. So we'll use something a lot different in those individuals, just depending on, on them and their genetics and their unique health. So, but the, the one common theme is that all of those diets are mainly based on meat, fish, seafood, fruits, and vegetables, which are the least uh, stressful to the immune system. And then these diets mainly avoid dairy, eggs, gluten, grains, legumes, and nuts, which are the most reactive. And that's the most reactive to everybody. So our main goal is to take as much stress off of the immune system as possible. And that can be done with food and then by addressing the gut issues I mentioned before. Remember, 70% of your immune system is in the gut. So that's that's a big factor. The other thing I wanted to point out is that IgG antibodies, that's only one aspect of your immune system. So it's a, just a single way of looking at food intolerances. There's also IgE, which is a true allergy. There's IgM reactions to food. And there's IgA antibody reactions to food. And then you can also have a lymphocyte response to foods, and there's testing for that. There's many, many different uh, labs out there, excuse me, many different labs out there that do uh, food intolerance, food sensitivity testing. Of course, they all say their method is the best. Um, There's the ELISA testing, which is they did in this study. There's the ALCAT test. Um, there's lymphocyte response testing and, uh, there's all different kinds out there. None of them are really going to be a hundred percent accurate, of course, which is why I don't do that type of testing. Um, now the other thing to think about is that even in conventional medicine, elimination diets are really still the gold standard. That's what they use in the hospitals to identify food allergies and intolerances. And so these diets that are used for autoimmune diseases are basically elimination diets. And uh, it's really just better to do that than to do the testing uh, because the testing can be ambiguous. You can have false positives and false negatives. The reactions can be just because someone's eating it a lot. Uh, So those are the things to think about. Now, once we heal the gut, some patients can begin to, they add foods back in, uh, in moderation. And then I'll have people just sort of figure out which ones they know are bad, uh, which ones uh, they seem to be okay with. So after we heal the gut, you know, we'll say, okay, why don't you try having uh, some kefir or yogurt or some cheese, see how you do. Some people will have it once and uh, they just feel horrible. 
and that's after the gut is, is healed and they're feeling great. And so they know that they really just need to limit to limit that or severely limit it indefinitely. And so you can just go through the foods like that one by one and, and see how you feel. And I'll have I'll even have people do what's called a cocoa pulse test, which is again really kind of a gold standard method for identifying food allergies. And so after someone's done an elimination diet, you just uh, eat one particular food. So you just have like a hard boiled egg. You check your pulse before you have the egg. And then you check your pulse after you have the egg. And if it's increased, if your heart rate increases by a a certain amount uh, based on your pulse, then that can indicate that the immune system is reacting to it. And that's how they used to do it in hospitals as well. They still do that uh, in some some cases. So overall, I'm really pleased with the study. Uh, very well done. Uh, not a lot of weaknesses. Like I said, they had a control group. They looked at all the different variables. So just more more data, more information to shed light on this particular issue. It's not really going to change the way I work with people at all um other than the fact like i mentioned earlier i'm going to be more lenient now with coffee and tea uh, just based on what we see here in the research and we'll see how that goes i mean coffee and tea have other issues to to discuss in certain people um but i am going to be like i said more lenient with that So if you go to drhedberg.com, I will have my summary of the study and a link to it. It is a paid study, so you won't be able to read the whole thing unless you buy it. Um, Of course, I have access to to all uh, research papers that are out out there because you really have to read the entire paper every time. You can never just go by the abstract, which is what a lot of people do. If there's a paywall with the paper, you have to read every single detail in the paper, look at all the graphs and the charts and break down the methodology. Um, Cause there is a lot of bad science out there and you have to understand how to identify that and uh, figure out where the, the weaknesses are in each study. So on drhedberg.com, I'll, I will have a link to the study as well as everything I talked about in today's podcast. Uh, So I hope this was helpful and interesting. And uh, take care, everyone. I will talk to you next time. If you enjoy The Dr. Hedberg Show, you can support it by sharing each episode on your social media channels, like Facebook, and by leaving a review on iTunes. Please visit drhedberg.com. That's D-R-H-E-D-B-E-R-G dot com to access the show notes and resources for today's episode.